Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. I'm an expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. And by virtue of this, I'm a successful behaviorist who only applies CBT. To better help my clients, I learn more about conditioning methodologies, which are not exclusive to dog training, but are positioned as the only methodologies in mainstream dog training. By understanding the platform and principles these methodologies adhere to and their intended goals, we can better understand how they differ from those to CBT. In this episode, you will learn what to consider when choosing a method and gain a better understanding as to why a method may or may not be effective in different situations with different dogs. There is no one right way to work with a dog. Having options that suit the dog and the situation allows us to reach our mutual goal of keeping dogs out of shelters and off the euthanasia table. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for over three decades. Conditioning methods are currently positioned as the only methods in mainstream dog training. These methods adhere to the principles and platform of conditioning methodologies. Makes sense, right? Conditioning methods rely on reinforcements to encourage and discourage behaviors. These reinforcements are transferred to different areas and situations. Operant conditioning is probably the most popular conditioning method in mainstream dog training. It teaches expected behaviors by applying reinforcements to encourage and discourage wanted and unwanted behaviors, respectively. Incorporated into socialization, operant conditioning is designed to instill and formulate positive thought patterns and perceptions. Positive reinforcement training is one half of operant conditioning, which is a scientifically proven methodology. There are various techniques and not all trainers have the same level of experience or perform it the same way. There's clicker and the yes method and different terminology, different rewards. Because positive reinforcement training is only one half of that scientifically proven methodology, it stands to reason it's going to have limitations. To adhere to the principles of operant conditioning, one must apply both uh, positive and negative reinforcements. And there's different ways of doing this as well. There's positive correction, positive punishment, which the dog world has termed when used in conjunction with positive reinforcement methods as balance training. These are forms of non-harmful and non-aversive reactions to discourage unwanted behavior. Other negative reinforcements include aversive reactions, which can cause the dog physical or emotional stress. However, fortunately, the fear-free movement and other influential organizations are effectively diminishing the popularity and use of aversive reactions. Many people, just simply out of human nature, apply negative reactions to discourage a behavior. That could be kneeing or saying no, spray bottles, shaking a can. These are all under the operant conditioning umbrella on the negative reinforcement half. Any technique or method that relies on reinforcements, whether tangible or intangible, to encourage or discourage a behavior, and to teach expected behavior is adhering to the principles in some format of operant conditioning. The platform is designed for dogs who want to learn the right behavior and care about the reactive reinforcement. It assumes that these dogs do not know right from wrong and that they see the value in performing expected behavior. It assumes they do not know when they are doing unwanted behavior 
They are not doing the behavior based on a previous experience or learned behavior or preconceived thought patterns, which cause them to feel they need to do that behavior to achieve a goal. In other words, they just simply don't know that it's wrong behavior. And the platform of operant conditioning is designed to teach right from wrong, making it effective with puppies and with some dogs. It's common for dogs with a checkered past to have preconceived thought patterns. So a method that takes the approach of instilling behaviors may not always be effective. Can conditioning methods change pre-established behaviors? Yes. Counter-conditioning assumes preconceived thought patterns, so it can be effective in addressing anxiety and aggression while remaining under the conditioning platform. Counter-conditioning uses associative techniques and desensitization combined with the reinforcement to change the dog's behavior toward a stimuli, so it follows the principles of conditioning methodologies, as does classical conditioning, which can also change behavior. If you or your trainer are relying on reinforcements to instill or change behavior, you are adhering to conditioning methodologies. The various different types of ways and methods of doing this are accepted in mainstream dog training as long as they adhere to conditioning methodologies and are non-aversive. Because conditioning methodologies are currently the only methods in mainstream dog training, it can be challenging for people to envision a methodology that was not rely on reinforcements. In fact, I have heard many times trainers say that it's necessary to use a reinforcement to train dogs. It is if you are adhering to conditioning methodologies. Upward dogology adheres to the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, which is non-aversive and scientifically proven. These principles are designed to change perception, to change behavior. And this is a very important difference because reinforcements are not intended to change perception first. CBT assumes the subject has preconceived thought patterns and, for the most part, does not see a reason to change this perception and behavior. It also assumes dogs know right from wrong. They are choosing not to do the behavior that we consider the right behavior intentionally. For example, this is common in adolescent dogs. They simply flip you the bird. You know that they know what you are asking them to do and that they just don't care. Apparently, they have learned, sometimes overnight, that you do not know how to calmly manage them or the situations, and you can't make them do it. I'm going to use a client example. Their dog was generally pretty good in their fenced yard, but would bark at dogs going by the fence on the other side. Prior to hiring me, my clients would bring the dog in the home as the reaction to deter the barking under the assumption he does not want to come in the home, and then would praise him and give him treats when they're in the yard with him and a dog went by and he didn't bark. So this is standard balance training, and it worked well. Then he decided on his own not to bark at dogs, which is great. But when my clients were inside, he would sometimes bark and sometimes not. And when he did bark at the dogs, they brought him in. What they noticed was when they tried to bring him in when he was not barking, when he was just being a good dog, maybe they had to go to work or whatever, he refused to come in. He had learned balance training. He literally learned what they'd done which they used effectively in many situations during puppyhood, and now he's about 14 months. So he was deciding his reward and his punishment. If he really wanted to react to the dog behind the fence walking by, he weighed out his options. Perhaps the dog was worth giving the what for and then having to go inside. Or maybe he just chose not to bark at that dog because he didn't want to get taken in. But he was not planning on going in when he was being good. So this dog was using a lot of cognitive skills here, reasoning and choosing options. 
The answer is not to increase the positive and negative reactions, but to switch to cognitive behavioral therapy because that's where this behavior is stemming from. Alternatively, dogs may be doing the behavior because it works for them and achieves their goal without directions from humans. So they understand an action has a reaction and they make decisions based on that. This would be common with street dogs. When they get a home, they may acknowledge that you approve of a certain behavior and disapprove of another behavior based on your reaction. For example, they may take a treat, but that doesn't change their behavior because they did that behavior by choice and the treat was just a bonus. If a reinforcement, positive correction or positive punishment is given to discourage that behavior, they may understand that it's not a behavior that you want them to do but they feel that they need to do it to achieve their goal, which might be to stay alive or, or for example, with leash reactivity, it might be to keep that dog at bay. And they feel you simply don't understand that this behavior is necessary. We need to change their perception of us and the need to do that behavior to achieve that goal and to provide them with options so that they decide to change their behavior. They literally see a reason to change their behavior. Some overall approaches of upward dogology are simply common concepts among rehabilitation and coaching methods, including conditioning methodologies. And for example, when you hear people say, teach it easy, apply to hard, or increase the difficulty in increments or work at the pace of the dog, they all basically mean the same thing. And they're an approach that is pretty much across the board. Conditioning methodologies are reactive in nature and rely on reinforcements. So the transferable element from the easy to the difficult situations are the rewards or the reinforcements. When it is challenging to find success, trainers who adhere to conditioning methodologies may, for example, find a higher value reinforcement or make sure that the one is used only at challenging times, that's the favorite reward, or use the reinforcement more often at easy times and go back to easy times and and just use that more often. So there's different ways of reaching the goal, but with conditioning methodologies, the focus is on the reinforcement to change the behavior. You may have heard dogs described as treat motivated. These dogs perform well for treats, but if you're finding the treat or the other motivations are not helping you achieve your goal at challenging times, you're not alone and it's not your fault. It's just the way conditioning methodologies are designed. CBT relies on establishing transferable skills. So when we're not able to achieve success in particular situations, we focus on the skill set. We return to our platform exercises. We bridge the gap between the level we're at and where we need to effectively apply them. Teach it easy, apply to heart. CBT is proactive in nature. The exercises we establish in our platform are transferable allowing us to proactively apply these exercises to challenging situations to prevent unwanted behavior. These exercises reset the brain and change perception and provide options. The simple act of implementing the exercises at easy times often results in the unwanted behavior dissipating without even needing to specifically address that behavior. We don't focus on that behavior. So the example of the street dogs, if that was leash reactivity, we wouldn't focus on that. We establish transferable skills that changes the dog's perception of us and our ability to know what's important to him to change his perception of our ability to calmly manage situations. It also allows us to proactively prevent the behavior, allowing the dog to learn he doesn't need to do that behavior to remain safe. 
for example. So how do you know if you need conditioning methods or CBT? Since they can both effectively address the same issues, it's the reason for the behavior that best determines which method will be preferable. Of course, the dog ultimately gets the end decision. If the dog knows basic commands and knows right from wrong, but is doing the behavior anyway, you probably would need CBT. If you're struggling to get the dog to care about the reward or the reinforcement, you probably need CBT. Puppy training, I would probably stick with positive reinforcement training unless it is unusual aggression caused by fear or the perception of fear or learned behavior. Then you might need CBT. In season five of this podcast, I get into why behaviors generated by cognitive thought patterns and skills need to be addressed using cognitive behavioral therapy. Makes sense, right? Puppies have cognitive abilities. These cognitive skills commonly lead to wanted behaviors. House training is a great example. It requires memory and emotion and the ability to recognize that an action has a reaction. Those are all cognitive skills. And cognitive skills allow the house training to be effective using forms of operant conditioning, especially with puppies, but not necessarily with dogs. You might need cognitive behavioral therapy to house train an adopted dog, or if the messing is not related to house training, but rather a result of change in schedule or lifestyle or anxiety. With puppies, we commonly don't need to change thought patterns. We're instilling them. It is not until they hit adolescence that they begin to question and rethink. This is the same as children turning four years old. So a three-year-old, we can teach them that sharing is good. They learn the actual act of sharing, taking something they have over to somebody else, and they want to share it because they get praised and they like it. Four-year-olds, well, they start to think about the act on a larger scale. It's not just simply taking the objects over. What's in it for them? What happens if they don't share? Do they have any other options? Are those options better? This is why commands during puppyhood are simply a physical act, such as sit. As they mature, these commands, when taught using teaching opportunities and opportunity-driven rewards, which is how upward dogology teaches commands, have a different effect. They change perception and they reset the brain by harnessing cognitive abilities. It is important to recognize when a dog is applying their cognitive skills, and upward dogology allows us to do just that. Upward dogology is not only intended to rehabilitate, it also increases bond, prevents unwanted behavior, especially when integrating a dog into a new home, establishes a communication base, allows us to read the dog, and learn what the dog knows. This is very important. This is a big difference from conditioning methodologies which are designed to teach. Imagine working in your profession for decades and then switching to a different company. Your coworkers and bosses either leave you to your own devices to give you time to acclimatize or decompress, assuming that this is highly stressful for you, or alternatively, they send you to seminars and courses to teach you your profession, and they treat you as though you're new to your job, new to the industry, and new to life. You will either, in the first case, inherently make mistakes because they're not providing guidance and direction in a calm, clear manner. Or in the second case, your perception of them will be tainted because they don't even know what you know and they're not harnessing your skill. This is why CBT has become popular in work environments and educational places and in something like, for example, rehabilitating criminals. And it's effective in rehabilitating anxiety and aggression. In fact, many of my clients have anxiety and their practitioner is applying forms of CBT to address their anxiety. It is urgent to incorporate canine CBT into mainstream dog training and dog rescue. The two methodologies work well together. People trying to help dogs need to know their options. 
and the dog has the right to make that decision. In the next episode, I talk about how mainstream dog training and the system is already incorporating it, perhaps without even knowing it. As always, I appreciate your support. If you have any questions, please email me at billy at upwarddogology.com. Please follow me on my Instagram. My Instagram account, Upward Dogology, does not adhere to perfect marketing practices. In fact, it's one of the rare dog training Instagram accounts that actually consists mostly of client videos. So you can see some of my real clients, and I am interested in collaborating with industry experts to share Upward Dogology on a larger scale. Or if you're looking for one-on-one training, please visit my website, UpwardDogology.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. That's Upward Dogology. And LinkedIn is Billy Groom. Thanks again to the music by the Jeff Murdoch Band and Open Strum. Enjoy your learning journey. (laughs) 